Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 175. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. What it is, Chris, what it is. If you say so, Pete. We are back, of course, once again to talk about what is going on in the world of Nintendo. So we have a bunch of game impressions for this episode. We have a little bit of news, and then we have this week's big topic, which is our hands-on report from this year's Electronic Entertainment Expo. It's almost like a live from the show floor, but not quite live. Only about a week late, yes. <laughs> However, before we get to that, let us kick things off with some game impressions, starting with a game for Switch that came out last week during E3, and that is Cadence of Hyrule, Crypt of the Necrodancer featuring The Legend of Zelda. Hmm, and oh, what a game it is. Yes, it is certainly a unique title when it comes to the Zelda series. It's basically a rhythm-based Zelda game where you move and attack and use items and do everything to the rhythm. Yeah, it's true. It really is. Like, if you took a Zelda game and you took a rhythm game and you just mashed them together. So what do you think of this unique kind of genre mashup? Personally, I'm really enjoying it. I didn't expect it to be a full-fledged Zelda title, and it's certainly not. It almost is, though. But at the same time, right, there are a lot of elements that are, and it does feel like a Zelda game. For lack of a better way of saying it, yes, I think it does feel like a Zelda game, but it, you know, it, there's just elements of both, right? Elements of rhythm game, elements of Zelda, not quite either. Uh, yeah, it is definitely a very distinctive hybrid. And let me tell you, when I started playing this, I just was kind of very confused at first. Because <laughs> it is like an old school Zelda game in a lot of ways, especially in that they just sort of throw you out there without a whole lot of explanation. <laughs> and it really took me a while to figure out what I was doing and for everything to click together. I spent a long time just wandering around the overworld and killing everything in sight without knowing really what the purpose was or why I was doing it. I was exploring lots of beaches and forests and fields and mountains. And I was also fighting off all these enemies, but the enemies have some pretty tough patterns too. And you can get overwhelmed rather <laughs> quickly. Yeah. I'm really glad to hear you saying that because I was feeling the exact same way when I was playing through. It's like the um, first couple times. I mean, I think I died probably like five times in the first, like, I don't know, 25 minutes. I have died a lot in this game. In fact, I have probably died more in this game than like <laughs> all the past Zelda entries combined, <laughs> including Breath of the Wild. Probably ever since, uh, you know, Zelda 2. I think every game since then combined matches my death total in this game. <laughs> like, there's some enemies that are really nasty, like the Deira, the big alligator guy from Zelda 2. He can kill you in just a couple of hits, and he was just mauling me every time I would encounter one of those until I figured out the pattern and was able to avoid his attacks a little better. But yeah, you can go down pretty quickly in this game. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think to caveat, we should probably say that it's, you know, it's not really a Zelda game the way a Zelda game normally works, where you, you know, right. kind of go into these different dungeons. And I mean, there is a lot of that, but it's also very simplified. And I actually think it works really well because you are going to die sometimes in this game. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing is that the progression is very different. When you die in this game, you lose all your money, you lose your keys, you lose a lot of your items. So it just has a very different feeling and a very different sense to it. And normally I feel like, okay, I'm playing a Zelda game, I get to keep everything when I die, and then I will just pick up from there. But since that doesn't happen in this game, yeah, it's just a bit of a learning curve, you know? Yeah, that is pretty steep penalty. I thought, you know, maybe if I go back to where I died, I'd get my stuff back. But oh yeah, but that doesn't case. happen now. 
So yeah, as I'm exploring this area, it's like, are these places I need to go? Do I have to come back here later if it's an area I can't get to yet? Is this cave I'm looking at optional? Is it required? <laughs> so yeah, there's just this whole learning and discovering going on, and it took me a while to figure it out. But finally, after playing like probably a couple hours, it finally clicked. I'm like, okay, there's dungeons I have to go to, and I have to explore these dungeons. And I'm probably going to fight bosses at the end or something but really i just kind of got to my first dungeon after finding my way through the lost woods and now i think i'm finally going to be able to start doing a little bit more traditional zelda stuff you know fight the boss at the end maybe find some equipment in there i don't know but i am enjoying doing it yeah so in this game hyrule is basically broken up into little bite-sized areas kind of like uh, link to the past where you're kind of going to screen after screen, and once you go to the edge of a screen, you go into the next screen. I mean, like the original Zelda, really. Yeah, that's true. Although, I feel like the art style really kind of picks up where Link to the Past kind of left off. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. And then, on these screens, oftentimes they have a dungeon, or maybe like a a stairway down. Yep, hidden shop or something like that. Yeah, and you'll get into this cave, and at least my experience so far is these caves are really pretty minor compared to a Zelda dungeon. They're usually like one screen. You're not going super deep in and finding like some crazy boss. There might be a boss, but it's usually like right there and there's a bunch of baddies and you just have to take them all out and Mm -hmm. collect whatever the power up is in there. Right. That's what I was going through with my sort of sense of discovery. It's like, is this thing important? If I beat all these enemies, do I get something cool like a piece of heart? Or is it just like, oh, here's a few rupees or something like that? So, yeah, like I said, it is just something that I'm sort of coming to terms with. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so far, and that's something we should mention, too, is that so far you do collect these items that you get to keep even if you die. Right. There are things like bombs and bomb chews and some other things. Right, right. I don't want to go too spoilery, but there are a lot of things from the Zelda series you can pick up, including, I guess I could say bottles, which (laughs) is kind of expected, I think. Yep, I haven't found any of those myself yet, though. Yeah, the only one I found was for sale, and it would cost a fortune. <laughs> hmm. Well, I have a fortune right now. I just need something to spend it on before I croak. Yeah, that's the problem, is you kind of have to remember where everything is, or else <laughs> you're kind of SOL. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Now, what do you think of the controls so far? I feel like I've had a few control issues with this game. Like, I really, really wish I could move diagonally, because <laughs> a lot of the enemies can. Right. And also... I really wish that I could just sort of, you know, put the shield wherever I want so I can knock back enemy attacks. Because otherwise, like, I want to move a direction, but I don't want the shield facing the direction I just walked because, you know, the enemy's coming from another way. And, I mean, I guess that's just part of the way the gameplay is, but I was feeling kind of frustrated by not being able to do those two moves. Yeah, there's definitely some little nuances that I have to believe are design choices because, you know, they're... Yeah, they've got to be. They, yeah, they're basically trying to make it difficult in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've noticed also with puzzles, you're trying to, like, push something, but you can't turn around on the block you're on. So it's like you have to kind of push things in a, right. in a different order than you normally would in a Zelda game. Yeah, that's true. But it is. There's just, you know, for the most part, there are some little nuances. I know what you're saying about the attacking diagonal or moving diagonal. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I can find some solace in is that there are weapons that let you kind of attack diagonally. Yeah, that's true. And so that kind of makes up for that. I found myself really liking, I found a spear that allows me to oh, yeah. attack two in front. Mm-hmm. That was super useful. <laughs> yeah, and that thing is a lifesaver. Yeah, that was great, but then like an enemy hit me and it shattered, so I don't have it anymore. <laughs> well, eventually you'll find a real one. 
Ah, okay. Yeah. But yeah, that is one of the things that's interesting about the game is that you get all this stuff and then it's so easy to lose it. And it's like, <laughs> well, should I spend my diamonds on these objects? I feel like I'm just going to die in two minutes and lose all that stuff anyway. So I'm kind of hoarding my diamonds and not really sure what to do about it. But again, the more I play, the more I learn, the more fun I'm having. Right. Well, me personally, yeah, the more I've played it, the more I realize, you know, you do, you, you don't want to spend too much, but at the same time, you are going to lose it. So you might as well enjoy it and the more you play the better you get so kind of the longer you usually live at least what i'm finding i think yeah i think that's probably fair to say and also i have to admit when i got to some of the harder enemies i did switch on that fixed beat mode so i could help learn their patterns because having them just move whenever you do that really really lets you learn things a lot better i mean I wouldn't recommend doing it for the whole game because I think it probably sucks out the challenge and the purpose of playing a game like this. But it is a very useful learning tool, and I don't feel guilty at all about using it to be like, okay, this is how the enemies move. This is what I'm supposed to do here. It just helps you, you know, take your time and figure things out when you're in the early going. So I do recommend using that if you feel like you need it. Yeah, I think to kind of paraphrase what you're saying, the game when you just start naturally, and this took me some learning to get into, was that basically everything moves on the screen to like the rhythm of the song. Right. And if you just stand still, the enemies will like just move towards you and kill you. (laughs) Right. They will. But if you select this other option, which you're referring to, fix beat mode, basically it makes it so that the enemies can only move when you move. So it, it makes it insanely easier. Just the sense that like you can just, stop and think about what's going on and then exactly. decide to move which is a pretty cool mechanic and it's really nice that it's in there yes at first i was really reluctant to do that but i croaked enough times <laughs> against the stupid axe wielding alligator that the game was finally like come on chris you really should try this out <laughs> i'm like okay okay i'll try it out yeah there was this one part where i needed to get through the battle perfectly, never missing a beat, never getting hit by an enemy, and never skipping a beat for this treasure chest to open up. And so I was just so frustrated. I was doing this over and over and over <laughs> again. Every time I missed a beat or something, I was like, okay, kill me, axe-wielding alligator, and just kept trying over and over and over again. And finally, I did it. But you know, then after that, it's like, okay, let's try this fixed beat mode and see if that makes it a little bit simpler for things like this oh man boy did it ever (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely but i don't think i want to play the whole game that way that's for sure yeah i mean i think it's nice that it's there but yeah i think that it is definitely more of a challenge if you don't have it on oh yeah absolutely anyway despite my initial confusion despite being overwhelmed by the bad guys early on i have really grown to enjoy this game i do really like the lovely 2D art style, and of course, all the remixes of these great Zelda tunes are perhaps the biggest drawing point. So you add all that stuff up together, and I'm finding a game that I'm enjoying quite a bit. Like, the more I play, the more I like it. Yeah, and there's some really cool nuances. I mean, as you mentioned, the music is stellar, and it's great because it's kind of these, like, reimaginings of some of these classic Zelda songs. Yep, indeed. I even got to the windmill and heard, is it Song of Storms, I think? Oh, I haven't gotten there yet. That sounds cool. Yeah, but it's like a jazz beat. <laughs> it's, it was like hmm. super crazy, but I really, really liked it. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't got to that part. I have encountered Tingle, however. Oh, no, I haven't seen Tingle yet. Mm-hmm. Please look forward to it. <laughs> and then what I've heard, and I'm not 100% sure on this, but what I think I've heard is that the level reconfigures itself if you start a new game. Yes, so you and I are going through 
totally different experiences. Right. We are going through different overworlds and we'll get different dungeons and all that jazz. And also, you know, one thing I'm looking forward to experiencing is playing through the game as Zelda. You're right. You know, I kind of thought I'd be able to tag back and forth between Link and Zelda and play as them both on a single playthrough, but that doesn't seem to be the case. So have you encountered Zelda yet? No. No, I have not. So I found her and you can basically wake her up. And then from that point forward, you can do either co-op or I believe you can switch and play as her. All right. Awesome. I'll look forward to that. And I think there may be more characters you can play as because it seems like they're alluding to that. And if you look at the cover of the game title or whatever, there's an extra character in there that I'm not sure who it is. Well, at the beginning of the game, you play as this character named Cadence, I guess. But uh, yeah, beyond that, I guess I'll find out. <laughs> yeah, there's some like purple guy. I think it might be the necromancer. I don't know. Oh, well, I think he's the bad guy, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I was seeing in there. I mean, there's a little cutscene at the beginning where he seems to be doing something naughty, but who knows? Maybe he is playable as well. I don't know. I'll find out. <laughs> Please look forward to it. But yeah, overall, I am liking this game. Do you give it a recommendation as well, Pete? Oh, totally. I think actually, just to speak to this a tiny bit more, I really think that Nintendo looks amazing for allowing this to happen. I mean, they basically let an indie developer make a really interesting take on Zelda without really spoiling any of the franchise value. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, honestly, this is definitely going to tide me over for a little while until, you know, the next Zelda comes out. But anyways, I'm so glad that this exists. And I kind of am hopeful that Nintendo looks at more opportunities like this. Yep, absolutely. I like it too. Yeah. All right, then let us move along to another new release we've been playing, the Contra Anniversary Collection. Aha. And this one is probably very near and dear to your heart it is indeed i love the contra series and i've been waiting for this game to come out for a long time and especially after i found out that includes the nes and famicom contra games you know this is something i've been wanting to be able to play on a console again for like a decade i mean it was when (laughs) contra 4 came out that that was last released and you could play it on nintendo ds but other than that there's been no good way to play it on console so yes that is finally here along with four other games i mean basically the collection does only have five games it has variants of all these games but it's pretty much the original contra which has arcade famicom and nes versions there's super contra with the arcade and the nes version then there's contra 3 operation c from the game boy and contra hardcore and also they just added a patch that lets you get you know some of the extra japanese versions of these games that were not there when the game first launched last week so yeah i mean it's only five games but i'm not going to lie to you if it was just the original contra for 20 bucks downloadable on switch i would totally buy that all over again because the game is that darn good (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they really are just really good games, and I haven't played, I don't even think I've played the uh, Game Boy version. Yeah, I never really did either. So that's pretty cool to check out, too. Yeah, it's not half bad. It's actually surprisingly good for a Game Boy game. Sorry I missed that one back in the day. Yeah, no kidding. But yeah, there's like all these variations of Contra that I've never experienced before, these European versions I've never played, these Japanese versions I've never played. I mean, I have played the Famicom version of Contra, so I knew that it had these extra cutscenes and a few extra graphical effects, but to actually be able to own it and play it at my leisure and sit down and play it in two-player mode co-op, it's just so great to have all these right here on the Switch. Yeah, and then on top of that, I think you told me it's called uh, Tate Mode? Uh, yes, for the arcade games, yeah. Yeah, so the arcade games allow you to actually uh, rotate the screen so you can play your Switch upright and you know experience it in the more true-to-arcade feel. 
Yeah, the vertical orientation. That's what they used for those original Contra and uh, Super Contra games when they first appeared in the arcades. It seems really weird that a side-scrolling shooter would actually use that format, <laughs> but it does. Uh, yeah, I haven't really played the arcade versions too much, and I have certainly not tried out Tatemo, but that's cool to know that it's in there. Yeah. The other thing I'll say is that these games are brutally hard. <laughs> well, I mean, most of them I'm familiar with, so they're not that hard. But like Contra Hardcore, which I never owned back in the day. I mean, man, it really puts the hard in hardcore. That game <laughs> just kicks my butt left and right. I mean, all the other ones I can do pretty decently at, but man, Contra Hardcore, woo, it's a monster. Yeah. I mean, for one, I feel like you got to play a co-op if you really want to, you know, get far. Yeah, that's the best way to play it. That's the most fun. Yeah. And then also uh, you got to put in, well, at least to me, you got to put in the cheat codes. <laughs> I've played it with the cheat code enough times that I don't really need the cheat code anymore. Unbelievable. But I'm glad that it's still there, you know? Yeah. Uh, not myself. I can't even get through like the first level with uh, three lives. <laughs> oh, well, what can you do? <laughs> I mean, I'll keep practicing, but we'll see. Keep on trying, man. I just don't have the free time I had when I was eight. Understandable. Yeah, but, you know, as much as I like all the games, the one thing that's in this collection that maybe could be a little bit better is that digital history book. Like, it's not terrible, but it <laughs> kind of feels like maybe I could have designed the layout in my sleep or something. <laughs> I haven't looked at this yet, so I'm, I'm kind of curious now. It's, uh, it's no Nintendo Power Design, let me tell you that. <laughs> but... That aside, I mean, this is just a fantastic collection. I love these games. I love playing these games again. And so I definitely feel like I got my money's worth. For 20 bucks, you can hardly do better than this, I would say. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this and the Castlevania collection, you'd be hard-pressed to not get value out of the, oh, yeah, for the sure. purchase price. But yeah, pretty cool to see Konami doing this. And, you know, it's been a long time that people have been clamoring for. <laughs> yes, and I am certainly one of them, so... Very, very happy to see it, and it has certainly met all my expectations. And man, that soundtrack is rocking. Oh yeah, absolutely. Moving along to another Switch game. This is one that came out a couple of weeks ago. It is a game called Gato Roboto. Pete, are you familiar with this title at all? <laughs> this is the one that kind of looks like a Game Boy game, right? Well, it is all black and white. Yes, it's true. I mean, it's actually more restrictive than the Game Boy because it's not four shades of gray. It's just pure black and white. Ah. So... Yes, in that respect, it does resemble a Game Boy game. But in addition to resembling a Game Boy game in a sense, it's also notable that this game is basically Metroid, but you're a cat. <laughs> awesome. You are running around in a very Samus Aran-like mech suit, but the pilot of the mech suit is a cat. And so you explore, and you shoot, and you fire missiles, and you blast open doors, pretty much just like a black-and-white Metroid but you're a cat. And anytime you want, you can jump out of the mech suit and you can use your cat abilities to like <laughs> climb up walls and go swimming underwater because the suit can't go underwater and uh, do other cat-like things. Of course, the trade-off is when you're a cat, you die with one hit. But anyway, <laughs> it's a really fun game you know, all over. It's fun exploring as the cat. It's fun doing the Metroid-like stuff in the mech suit. It's just really well-made all over from what I've played. And I admit, I haven't gotten terribly far into it. I've only played it for about an hour so far. But, you know, from what I've played, it's really enjoyable. It's got a really cute and quirky story. It appears that the bad guys are all a bunch of mice. <laughs> Continuing the uh, cat theme very, very well. And yeah, I'm just having a blast playing it. And it's only $8. Yeah, it looks really cool. I like the screenshots. 
I kind of get a cave story vibe from this one. Uh, in a sense, I can see that. It does have, you know, that retro kind of style. It is a similar type of game in some respects, I guess. It certainly has the quirky charm as well, so I can kind of see that. Oh, by the way, going back to the Game Boy thing, it actually does have unlockable filters, so you can actually change the tint of the screen to actually make it more Game Boy-like. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you are a Game Boy fan, that's another good reason to pick this up as well. Anyway, I can't really speak about it beyond that because I have only played about 60 minutes or so, but so far I've got a very good feeling about it, and I think if you like Metroid or if you like Cats, or even better, if you like both, you should definitely add this one to your library. Cool. I might take that recommendation. All right. And one more game I've been playing is a title called Hue. Me? That's H-U-E, not you, Hue. It is sort of a artsy indie, color-based puzzle platformer. And the hook to this game is that you get to set the background color, and then objects in the foreground disappear if they match that background color. Like, say you need to get past a barrier, and that barrier is red. Then you make the background red, and then it sort of just disappears. Or maybe a big rock is about to roll over you and flatten you, so you change your background to the color of the rock, and suddenly it's not really there anymore. And I think it's a pretty cool and unique concept. Yeah, I'm looking at screenshots of it, and it does look really interesting. Yeah, it's very, very distinct. And while the concept starts out simple, it does end up getting pretty complex before too long. And soon you're combining the color switching mechanic with platforming and block pushing puzzles. And I'm probably maybe halfway through the game so far, and there haven't been any attacks you can perform. There are no enemies other than the aforementioned giant rocks trying to crush me. (laughs) And, you know, while it starts out super relaxing, it can get kind of tough, both in terms of the action and in terms of the puzzles. But the more you play, the more colors you unlock, and the more complex the game gets. Interesting. However, there is what I would consider one major flaw, and that is that you jump with the A button and you change colors with the right stick, and sometimes you are required to do both simultaneously. Like, you know, you have to jump and then change colors so a platform suddenly appears beneath your feet. But, you know, you might be thinking about this in your head, thinking about how you do that, and if your thought is, well, that might be kind of hard to do unless you have two thumbs on your right hand so you can do the stick and the button simultaneously, well, you would be correct. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can imagine that being pretty weird. Yeah, it's a little problematic, and, you know, hitting them simultaneously is more or less impossible. Now, the action does slow down when you're selecting the colors, so basically you jump and then quickly start selecting your color before this slow motion stops. But, you know, it's still not the easiest thing in the world to do, but they totally could have fixed it if they had just put like an extra jump button on L or R, so you're not using your thumb for both commands. And I think it's kind of unfortunate that that is there, because, like like I said, there aren't any attacks, there aren't any other moves to assign to these buttons, as far as I can tell, so <laughs> there's really no reason to not have that there. So, I don't know, it just seems like an odd design choice when it comes to the controls. Yeah, I can see that. That aside, it is still pretty fun, it's very unique, and it can be, as I said, kind of challenging, so you can do a lot worse for $10. All right, well, another solid eShop entry, it seems. Yes, I suppose you could say that indeed. Pete, have you been playing anything else from the eShop, speaking of which? Yeah, actually, recently I downloaded Battle Worlds Chronos. Ah, okay. I admit I don't know a whole lot about that one, but it is some sort of strategy game, I believe. 
Yeah, it is. It is basically your standard format tactical turn-based strategy game. Yeah, sci-fi themed, right? Sci-fi themed and... You know, you're playing somewhere similar to Earth, but it's not quite Earth. Okay. Or maybe it is Earth, actually. I don't know. (laughs) Either way, though, I imagine that you've got a variety of units, and you're selecting the ones you want and going into battle, things of that nature. (laughs) Yep, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, if you've played a a turn-based strategy game, you probably have played something very similar to this. And essentially, I would say that, in general, this feels like a PC game. Hmm, Okay. There are just... a ton of options. Oh, that's good. Which is good and bad. You know, there's like ability to change the challenge while you're playing, which is kind of nice. But at the same time, I don't really like that too much because it kind of freaks me out. Like, I don't want to make it too easy. (laughs) Hmm. But I, you know, I kind of like playing with some difficulty. Although this game, I got to say the difficulty is definitely up there. I was just in a tutorial level and it ended up taking, you know, it almost turned into 35 rounds. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I That's almost crazy. lost at one point. How long does that take? That sounds like a two-hour tutorial. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because it starts with the tutorial and then it just kind of throws you into a mission. But you don't, hmm. I at least I didn't get the memo that you're in a real mission. And okay. Yeah, I'm like, wow, I'm really losing here. So anyways, you know, I think the main things to talk about here are probably that it's basically these battles where instead of getting like a cutscene, like Advance Wars or, um, you know, Wargroove or something, you just see the interactive fighting on the map itself. Okay. It's not super impressive, at least to what I've played so far. You just see kind of, you know, mechs kind of pulling out their guns and shooting something else. And then you kind of see explosion on the unit itself. And then you see a certain amount of health being taken away. Hmm, I see. It's not super detailed. You really just you kind of get the high level overview of it, almost like a tabletop game or something. Uh, okay. Yeah, I can see why you say that. Is there anything else that stands out? Well, there's a couple things. One is the story is really dialogue driven. Like there's these little uh, dialogue clips in between your mission start, mission end, certain points. All of a sudden, you know, you're talking to somebody and you get a little backstory. You know, it's nothing super off the deep end sci-fi. It's like in the future, the military is working heavily with this other corporation. Well, you start to realize that maybe this corporation is naughty, double-crossing the military, and so you're sort of sent in as a neutral agent to go figure out what's going on. I don't trust either of them. I will say the most interesting part about the dialogue in this game is that you do get to kind of pick the what you're going to say next, Okay. but as you're reading what the person's response is, in between dialogue boxes, it also gives you these things like in parentheses where it's just like, telling you what this person's thinking huh (laughs) which i've never really seen in a game it's kind of interesting it's like yes sir i'll get right on it and it's like he gets a little sweaty because he realizes that he doesn't actually know you very well he'd like to see you win a couple battles before he fully trusts you sweaty huh yeah i don't know it's a little weird (laughs) i've never seen such a vehicle and they use it a lot like almost every other dialogue box is like what this person's ulterior motive is or what they're thinking behind your back. Well, it's definitely different. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, I've only played a couple hours of this game and I didn't even beat the second mission. The missions are long. They take forever. Can you at least save in the middle of a mission? You can. And there are some little gripes that I had, like when you select where you're going next with a unit, sometimes if you just press the A button, that's it. You go to your where you're moving to and there's no take backs. You're just like, 
committed to that, which can be a little frustrating at times, especially when you have to move a bunch of units. And then the L and R buttons, you know, a lot of tactical games use this, but they basically let you select between the units. Right. Well, the bummer is, is that it always seems to start at a unit you've already deployed. (laughs) So it's like (laughs) you're going one, two, three, you're using unit three, then you hit the button again and it takes you back to unit one and it's like wait a minute i should be at unit four now and it's kind of annoying because you have to hit the button four more times yeah so there's just some minor gripes like that but you know i think if you're into tactical games this is worth a look at the same time i'm not totally loving it i would much rather play something like a war groove if i hadn't played that already your units do level up, which is kind of cool. If your unit survives some battles, it'll level up and you can actually like pick what upgrade you want. That's good. You know, sometimes it's just a health bonus, which is kind of nice because you're about to get destroyed and you realize, oh, sweet. You just happen to level up. I can heal him. And it's kind of a waste, though, because you really should put it into something like that's going <laughs> to be long term. Yeah, it doesn't help if you're dead, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's about it, I think. So overall, are you liking it? Is it good? Is it a little bit too generic? Is it worth the money? Well, for me, it's a little too generic. I don't know if I would necessarily recommend this to somebody unless you're like a hardcore tactics kind of person. And even then, I'd watch some videos and look at the screenshots to make sure you want to commit to it. Not saying it's bad. I just think you got to like this type of game if you're going to put money down for this. Okay, understandable. I do have one more question for you, and that is, you know who that guy is that's featured in the game art, like the box art that you see in the eShop? Because I don't know who that guy is, but every time I look at his face, I just get the feeling that he is so disappointed in me. Yeah, I think he's your admiral. If I remember right, he's in a cutscene in the beginning, and I think he's like basically the lead commander. I mean, he's counting on you to figure out what this corporation's up to. Uh, Okay, well, why'd you disappoint him, Pete? Well... Uh, you know yeah um, stuff happens probably because i didn't beat the second mission <laughs> yeah you know now that you mentioned i'm a little disappointed in you too <laughs> they just last a long time long long missions if you're into it okay i feel you i feel you that probably doesn't sound like my kind of tactics game either <laughs> all right then why don't we move along from these game impressions and discuss just a little bit of news Now, one game that I thought I was going to be giving impressions of this episode is the highly anticipated, at least for me, Collection of Mana, which came out on Switch last week. That is Final Fantasy Adventure, Secret of Mana, and Seiken Densetsu 3, otherwise known as Trials of Mana, and that's a game I was really hoping would come out in North America for quite some time, and I was all ready to (laughs) download it basically as soon as they announced it. And I think I even said I was going to do that on the podcast, but luckily for me, I did not have enough funds in my eShop account, and so I didn't get it right away, and then I got the funds, and I was going to get it, and then, like literally, like five minutes before I was about to buy it out of the eShop, I saw there's a physical edition coming out in August. (laughs) I wish you would fall into the dark side and get the e-version. Well, I mean, you know, this is almost a full-priced game. It's $40. It kind of feels like you should be, you know, getting a physical product for that amount. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and I was going to do it. I would have done it if that was the only option available. But I was glad to see it's out there. So, you know, I'd much rather get a physical version than a digital-only copy. So, uh, you know, for anybody else who was thinking about this as well, just be aware there is that physical version coming out in just a couple of months. You know, I would like to be playing it right away, but... You know, I've kind of been waiting, you know, 20 plus years to play these games. I could wait just two more months. I think it'll be okay. (laughs) I wanted to hear your impressions, though, Chris. 
oh well, we'll just have to wait till then. Sorry <laughs> to disappoint you, Pete. On a side note, did you hear about the president of Square Enix saying that sometimes they just can't find their old games? Yeah, I did hear them say something like that. I mean, it was in the context of how they want to bring all of their old back catalog onto current systems. So that's good news because that means that, you know, maybe we'll be getting stuff like Chrono Trigger. Maybe we'll be getting NES classics like Rad Racer. Or maybe it means, you know, Rad Racer is lost and they'll never be able to bring it out again. I don't know how hard it would be just to find a simple ROM, but I guess finding the source codes is the trouble. But, I mean, yes, that's good news, bad news. Good news is we'll probably be getting a lot more Square Enix digital classic games in the future. But yeah, there are some that I guess we never will see. Maybe that's what happened to Air Guys. I don't know. I was actually impressed that he came out and said it because uh, <laughs> I feel like that's actually happened to a lot of companies. They just aren't willing to Yeah, yeah. I think Sega's in the same boat with a lot of their old arcade stuff. <laughs> yep, totally. Anyway, moving on. Uh, you know, we're just talking about the physical version of Collection of Mana, but there's a lot of other digital games that are going physical as well. The folks at Limited Run Games, in fact, had a little press conference just before E3 that we forgot to talk about last week, so just wanted to give a quick rundown of that now. Among the games they have announced as coming to Switch, we've got Transistor, the sci-fi action RPG from the creators of Bastion, Rogue Legacy, the procedurally generated roguelite adventure game, Bad North, the Viking strategy game, Dark Devotion, the 2D medieval action adventure, Blazing Chrome, the upcoming Contra-style shooter, which isn't even out yet, but uh, you know I would certainly consider getting a physical version over the digital, knowing that that's on the way. Freedom Planet, which is a Sonic-style platformer with a pretty significant following, it seems. That one comes out this Friday, June 21st. Physical versions of Turok and Turok 2, Seeds of Evil, the classic first-person shooters. Blaster Master Zero, the vehicular 2D action-adventure game. A version of Red Faction, coming out on June 12th, another first-person shooter. Then Double Switch, which is a port of a Sega CD FMV game, which I'm not really familiar with. I'm sure it's terrible, but with a name like Double Switch, I'm really glad it's coming out on Switch, you know? <laughs> totally. And that one's coming out on July 19th. And then sometime in the third quarter, we are getting Real Mist, which is a remake of the classic adventure game Mist. Hmm. And then on top of that, there's actually, I believe, the company's first physical 3DS product, which is a TUI collection, which includes Mutant Muds, Mutant Mud Super Challenge, Zeo Drifter, Bomb Monkey, and Chicken Wiggle, which were all digital releases, all packed onto one physical 3ds cartridge so if you're a fan of physical and you're a fan of 3ds like i am this is definitely very tempting mm. now pete i know that you're always down with the digital not the physical but <laughs> are there any of these games that especially stand out to you that people should be aware of i did download bad north and i did like it you know i kind of moved on from it quickly so i haven't gone back to it yet but uh, i do think that's worth playing honestly the turok games might be worth looking into for me and possibly that Atui collection i think that sounds interesting with the uh, chicken wiggle <laughs> you love them wiggling chickens <laughs> oh wait that's me that's you yeah for me i think that uh, freedom planet blaster master zero and potentially blazing chrome if it's as good as it looks along with this Atui collection are probably at the top of my list yeah cool over on the mobile side of things, Nintendo has revealed a release date for their next mobile offering. That is Dr. Mario World. Apparently it comes out on July 10th on mobile devices. Yeah, and it actually looks really good. And, and you can pre-order it on uh, the App Store right now. Oh yeah, how much does it cost? It's free. 
Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. You can sign up and get it immediately when it comes out, huh? That's what that's all about? Yeah, that's right. They actually had like a takeover of the homepage today on the uh, App Store. Huh. So I'm sure they'll get a lot of signups. Okay, well, I do love me some Dr. Mario, so I'll be looking forward to that. That's only a couple weeks off. Yeah, it looks a little different than your normal Dr. Mario. You should watch a video of it when you get a chance. Yeah, I'll be sure to check it out. So there's one more bit of news about the Dungeons & Dragons RPGs that were announced a while ago. Oh, what's that? Yeah, they're basically going to be released in three packages with two bundles coming out September 27th. Okay. Yeah, so the first pair, Planescape Torment Enhanced Edition and Icewind Dale Enhanced Edition. Okay. And the second on that day will be Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition and Baldur's Gate 2 Enhanced Edition. All right. Lastly, Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition (laughs) will be released on its own on December 6th. So that's a lot of enhanced editions. Hey, yes, yes it is. Well, hope you can put those three months or so to good use because you got four massive RPGs to get through before that fifth one comes out, huh? Yeah, it's kind of crazy that they're all just like coming out in this huge lump because like, I mean, I feel like each yeah. one of these games is probably 60 plus hours. And uh, I know, I know. Like, I don't get it when we get like, you know, three Resident Evil games on the same day or, I mean, it's bad enough when you get like two <laughs> Final Fantasy games the same month, but having all that stuff come out on just one day, that's crazy. Crazy, I tell you. Yeah, these are great games, and you know I'm excited to actually play them on the Switch. I just hope they are good ports and they live up to the hype, and they don't cost me an arm and a leg. Yep, absolutely. I would love to check them out myself. Okay, then, moving along from the news, let's go through some listener mail. Our first letter comes from listener Brian Booth, who writes, "That was quite a direct. As a lifelong Nintendo fanboy." I'm always most interested in their E3 presentations, and I tend to just look up the other news online. I have to start out with those Smash reveals. The characters look like they'll be great, of course, but those trailers. Hot damn, those trailers were the highlight of the show for me. They just keep getting better. The callback to K. Rule's reveal and the Banjo-Kazooie reveal was just perfect. I'm sure I'm not alone in being disappointed in Animal Crossing's delay, but at least it's not as bad as Prime 4's, and it looks like it'll be worth the wait. Plus, after a year with Fire Emblem, Zelda, Mario Maker, and Dragon Quest, my money and time budgets will be happy for a breather of a few more months. I'll close out by saying that the slow burn hype builder for me was at the end of the Direct. At first I was so shocked that the rumored to be in development Zelda title is actually Breath of the Wild 2 that it didn't sink in. Then as I rewatched it, it hit me that it's one of only three direct sequels we've had in the series, and also only one of three where Zelda is co-protagonist. And I am so hyped to see the continuing adventures of this Link and Zelda that I just can't wait. The more I've thought back on that reveal, the more excited I've gotten. Nothing else in the whole show even comes close for me. P.S. I intentionally didn't mention the other Zelda games I referred to, direct sequels and Zelda features, because I want to see if you can name them. (laughs) This is a good letter because I feel like it almost encapsulates every single Nintendo fan's thoughts. (laughs) Yes, in uh, a lot of respects it does, but he does pose quite the challenge to us here. Now, when it comes to the direct sequels, I think that's fairly easy to get. Uh, I would say one of those is Zelda 2. You got any, Pete? Yeah, I mean, if I was guessing, I thought he was talking about uh, Majora's Mask being sort of a sequel to Ocarina of Time. Yeah, I would say that one counts. All right, then I would say uh, Link Between Worlds. Well, I mean, Link Between Worlds, you know, it has a 2 on its name in the Japanese version, but it's not really the same Link in Zelda, so I don't know if that one counts. But, you know, it might. 
So to me, that's a direct sequel. I mean, kind of, kind of not. So I mean, I think you could possibly count that one, but I would say Zelda Two: Majora's Mask and Phantom Hourglass with a little asterisk maybe for A Link Between Worlds. But as for Zelda as the protagonist, I mean, the only one where I really feel that she fits that role is probably Spirit Tracks. Yeah, I mean, the only other one I can think of would be Hyrule Warriors. Yeah, well, she definitely has a big role in that as well. I mean, she has a big role in a lot of games. But then maybe he's talking about Cadence of Hyrule. That's possible as too, as well. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps so, perhaps so. That is definitely one of them, yes. All right, there we go. Spirit Tracks, Cadence of Hyrule, and Hyrule Warriors. <laughs> probably not what he was saying. But nonetheless, that's the answer we're giving. <laughs> and we're sticking to it. Yes. Okay, our next letter comes from listener TJ McCart, who writes, Hey, Power Pros, I can't tell you how hyped I am for Dragon Quest inclusion in Smash. I asked you a while back if you thought it would help the series gain attention in the West if this ever happened. We got our answer. The negativity towards the hero has been alarming. What are your thoughts on the backlash of another anime swordsman getting into Smash? Is Square Enix's big push with Builders 2 and Dragon Quest XI-S going to pay off with strong sales? Thank you, as always. You know, honestly, for me, I don't understand the backlash. I think that Enix, you know, has not been in this series for the entire duration of Smash Brothers, And uh, I think Dragon Quest deserves a spot amongst its fellow alumni. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I haven't really witnessed too much of the backlash myself. I mean, I've heard some rumblings here and there. But uh, it hasn't been very prominent for me. And while I suppose I can agree in concept that we really don't need another (laughs) swordsman character, I mean, Dragon Quest is one of the most popular series ever made. Like, I think you could take half the series that are in Smash Brothers already and, like, those all combined probably haven't sold as much as Dragon Quest. Yeah. They probably take every Bayonetta and Castlevania and Mega Man and I don't know what else just wouldn't even come close. So, like, even if Dragon Quest isn't as big in the United States as it is in Japan, it is as worthy as you can possibly get. I mean, will it help boost the series' recognition here in North America? You know, I don't think it's going to hurt. I think that there are some people who maybe hardly even know about it. Like, oh, this character isn't Smash. I'm excited. I think the people who are hating on it, they're just going to hate on it no matter what, and you probably aren't going to change their minds regardless. Yeah, well said. Will it lead to it being a huge series over here? Eh, I mean, they've been trying for years. I kind of have my doubts, but uh, here's to hoping, you know. Yep, but I do love me some Dragon Quest theme song, and now I get to hear it in Smash Brothers. Yes, indeed, and I'm super excited for Dragon Quest XI. Hopefully that's the one I finally see through to completion. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited about that, too. Uh, Anyway, moving along, uh, we went on Twitter and we asked our other listeners what they were most excited about from the show, and we got a number of responses. At AdamFowler23 says Breath of the Wild 2 and Banjo and Smash are what he's looking forward to the most. Yep. The next one is at San underscore Tacos says Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 is looking so, so good. Then we have at Dial who writes, Breath of the Wild 2 was a big surprise, but No More Heroes 3 was something I had been eagerly anticipating for a while. Especially after, spoiler alert, Travis Strikes Again ends on what's basically a tech demo for 3. Yeah, I didn't know that, but that's pretty cool. Shh, spoiler alert. <laughs> at Hero of Timpani uh, says, Animal Crossing was the big surprise for me. It looks like everything I've wanted in a new title, with great freedom in decoration and making the town what you want. The delay stinks, but it already looks so good that I'm stoked to see what a little extra time can create. Yeah, totally. 
at joeyt23 writes, Astral Chain looked so good I had to turn away from the direct. I'm already sold. I want all of that crazy combat to be a surprise. <laughs> and I'm really happy for Rare that Banjo made it into the living museum that is Smash Ultimate. Also, the Zelda series seem to have a presence at E3. Yeah, I gotta agree. I'm now at a point where if I really am into a game, I don't really want to watch trailers because I want to be surprised. <laughs> yep, that's understandable. <laughs> Right. At new Super Frank says, Disgaea 4 complete plus. And then at Eric Plunk writes, I was happy to see a new entry in the Contra series with Rogue Core. I was on the fence about the quality of the game, but knowing that one of the minds behind Contra 3 and Hardcore is producing the game is what keeps me hopeful for this release. <laughs> I gotta say, Chris, I know you got a little hate for that game, but going back and playing some of the older Contras, they aren't known for being their just like graphical power horse. They're more known for the fast action and, you know, somersault jumps. Well, I got to play the game a little bit at E3. We'll be discussing that in just a little bit, so I will <laughs> share my thoughts on that at that time. Oh, boy. At Love My SNES says, Breath of the Wild 2 and Banjo-Kazooie in Smash. I grew up on Rare Games on Nintendo platforms, and I'm so excited to see the return of the bird and bear. And then at Sphil64 writes, Damon X Machina was one of my faves, as well as the release of the Mana Collection. At Alex Osborne UK writes, Luigi's Mansion looks brilliant, like that it's one big location with different themes, and smacking about those ghosties looks like a lot of fun. Then we have a message from at Mike Opferman who writes, All the Mana announcements, collection of Mana being out now, and the remake of Trials, which I'm only now getting to play for the first time. Instant buys. Yeah, I really enjoy these like instant release things where they just announce it and it's live. As a member of the press, I kind of hate it, but as a gamer, it's pretty great. <laughs> At an aging punk writes, Banjo-Kazooie in Smash made the direct for me. I was sold for sure, and then they hit me with the Breath of the Wild sequel, and I just lost it. It's so great to still be excited about games at my advanced age. <laughs> you, uh, thanks, aging punk. Yeah, you and me both, aging punk. Well, I mean, that pretty much uh, sums up the whole show. I love the fact that we got all these comments from all these listeners, and pretty much every single one hits on a different thing. Yeah. It's like there was something for everybody, for sure. Yeah, there really was. It's funny that it, there's not more love for Animal Crossing, but, uh, you know, I think that's probably notably partially because they pushed it back. Well, I mean, I think there's enough love for all the different things to be spread all over, and I think that's great. <laughs> uh, spread love. It's the Brooklyn way, Chris. <laughs> all right, that takes care of our letters, and I think that means it is time for us to take an intermission. Uh, and then we come... Wait a second there, buddy. Oh, what's going on, Pete? This seems very suspicious. Well, just because you went to E3 last week doesn't mean uh, you're not getting hassled. Oh, okay. Well, then go ahead. Go ahead and say it. What's the time for? It's time to hassle the hop. Okay. All right, Pete. Go ahead, then. What do you have for me this week? All right. Dear Video Game Professor Hoffman. Yes? What was your favorite non-gaming-related moment at this year's E3? non-gaming related moment <laughs> yeah i want to know like did you like bump into tony hawk in the parking lot or did you you know mm. well this is a very tricky question you're asking this week because <laughs> e3 really is all about the gaming and i didn't really do too much aside from gaming i mean i don't really go to the parties i just sort of go there to play the games and enjoy the games and just uh you know, take all that in. Well, you're a video game professor. That's what you would do. Well, yes, exactly. 
However, if we're not talking about, you know, just specifically the video games themselves, I would tell you that my favorite thing about the show was the very special t-shirt that I wore last Thursday for the final day of E3. Oh, and uh, what is that? I was lucky because it just arrived in the mail the day before I left for E3. I wasn't sure I'd be able to wear it there, but I did get it and uh, wore it all around the L.A. Convention Center on that last day of the show. It is a re-elect Mike Hagar for Mayor of Metro City t-shirt. <laughs> and did you die from giving high fives? <laughs> no, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not sure that many people noticed it, but it gave me great pleasure to wear that shirt, go into the Capcom booth, and actually play the Final Fight arcade game they had in there while wearing this t-shirt. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Do you think uh, somebody got a photo of that? Um, I mean, I know I did, but other than that, not that I'm aware of. And I was even talking to Capcom PR a little bit, and uh, they seemed to appreciate it, but I don't think they took any photos of it. Have you posted this to the Twitterverse? <laughs> I did post a picture, yes, right. of the shirt. Uh, it wasn't on my body at the time. <laughs> I did post a picture of the shirt. Well, if there's a picture of it on your body, I would on your persons, I would like to see. Well, uh, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> but uh, yes, I would say that that would be uh, one of the highlights for me, just being able to uh, display my uh, political leanings, re-electing <laughs> Mike Hagar as mayor of Metro City while actually playing Final Fight. Certainly a highlight for me. Well, that's a pretty awesome moment. I would expect nothing less from a true video game professor. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad it pleases you. <laughs> okay, then. I think it is certainly time for us to take our intermission. And then when we come back, we'll discuss a lot more about my hands-on impressions from this year's E3. We are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is my hands-on impressions from this year's 2019 E3 Electronics Entertainment Expo. This was, you know, somewhat of a low-key show, I think, compared to past years. It was a little bit smaller. You know, Sony wasn't there this year, but there was still plenty of good stuff for Nintendo fans, including lots of first-party and third-party titles. With that said, there were a few things missing from the show that I would have loved to have gone hands-on with. Yeah. For example, there was no playable Fire Emblem Three Houses on the show floor. What? Yep. There was no Astral Chain. That was one I really, really wanted to try, but it was not there either. That's a bummer. There was no Damon X Machina. Hmm. And there was also no Animal Crossing New Horizons, nor was there any Dragon Quest XI S, either in Nintendo's booth or 
or the Square Enix booth. And speaking of Square Enix, also no Crystal Chronicles and no Final Fantasy VIII Remastered. What the heck? Yeah, and then like other third-party booths I went to like over at Bandai Namco. I wanted to play Nino Kuni and I wanted to play Doraemon X Story of Seasons, but those were not there. And over at Sega, I really wanted to try that new Panther Dragoon, but that was not there either. So lots of stuff I was hoping to see at the show, not there. Nonetheless, there was still plenty of good stuff and enabled me to enjoy the show at a little bit more of a relaxed pace while still playing lots of cool upcoming games. Yeah, and I want to hear about it. All right, well, let us start off then with The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, the remake on Switch. Ah, yeah, this one looks amazing. Does it play as good as it looks? It plays, I mean, pretty much just like the original. It was just like putting on a glove. I mean, after maybe one or two seconds... I was basically playing it just like I was playing the old Game Boy game. It was very, very nice and familiar and just sort of gave me warm fuzzies inside. But now the game is, you know, as we've talked about, it's extra shiny and extra pretty. And it just looks like this little diorama come to life that you can actually control. Yeah, it really does. It just looks like this alternate world or something you get to like look into. Yeah, but going hands-on, let me find out what the controls are all about. So you do have a shield permanently mapped to the R button that you can use at any time, and the sword is permanently the B button. So those are always there. You know, that was sort of a flaw of the original, is you always had to re-equip the sword or the shield if you wanted to use tools. You know, you would have to change and then change back. But don't have to worry about that anymore. You always have your sword and shield, and then you interact with, I think, the A button, and then you can assign your items to the X button and the Y button. Very cool. And so while I was able just to go through the familiar motions and I knew what the puzzles were and I knew where to go and I knew what to do, there were a few little bit of differences in the gameplay. Like the enemies are smarter. Like I had to block an enemy attack to sort of knock him off balance so he was vulnerable because otherwise I wasn't able to like break through his shield and defeat him. So that's just one itsy bitsy little nuance that makes the game a little bit different than it was before. But other than that, like I said, it was very, very familiar, and that was definitely a good thing. You know, it's like, you know, comfort food, comfort gaming. It's like eating the equivalent of a gaming grilled cheese sandwich, you know, just (laughs) getting the magic powder and sprinkle it on the transformed raccoon and then getting the key and going to that first dungeon. And unfortunately, I didn't get to go very far into that first dungeon before my time ran out. But still, I had a blast playing it, and I'm going to love this game. I absolutely know it. Yeah. Is this a must-purchase for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was already a must-purchase, but after going hands-on with it, it certainly meets every expectation I had. Well, that is great to hear because I know you uh, (laughs) hold your Zelda to a high standard. I do indeed. And you know, unfortunately, I didn't get to try any of the new stuff, but that just means more I'll be able to enjoy for the first time when the game comes out in just a couple of months. So I am very much looking forward to that one. Also, at E3, I would say one of the highlights was being able to see those little dioramas they had set up at the booth. You probably saw some of this if you watched the Treehouse Live stuff, mm-hmm. but wow, it's really impressive to see all the work they put into these actual dioramas that look very, very much like the actual in-game graphics. So those are really, really cool to see. Check out the photos online if you haven't seen them already. I posted a few myself. Cool. And then, naturally, I played some Luigi's Mansion 3, and that game was very, very fun as well. It just seems like there is a whole lot to do in this game. Like, every room has cool stuff and hidden things and secrets, and the new play mechanics are really, really cool, too. Like, I love being able 
to shoot the plunger at the ghost and then suck onto the plunger and then use that to slam the ghost into other ghosts. That is like the most super satisfying play mechanic (laughs) I've encountered in like 20 years. It's very similar to a move you can do in TMNT 4 for the Super NES, where you just grab a bad guy, just whip him back and forth and the other bad guys. This is the same sort of thing, and it's just great. It's really, really fun to do that. <laughs> Every opportunity to slam ghosts and other ghosts is quality stuff. You know, I'm glad to hear that because I was a little worried that there was going to be some motion control needed for that, and I'm glad that nope, it's not. Nope, nope. Just uh, fire the plunger, use the R button to suck onto the plunger, then hit the A button, I think, to... Slam them back and forth. Maybe it was the Y button. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, no motion controls involved for that. Just uh, plain old standard game controls. Also, there were opportunities to use Guiji in that demo, you know, to get some hidden objects by going across spikes or going through a cage to get an item that you couldn't get as regular Luigi. So, you know, just lots of depth to this game just in the demo by itself. And that was really cool. Also, you know, Pete, you talked about, you know, how it seems like there are these different areas in the game. Like, you know, there's this medieval part where you're fighting a knight. And that's what this demo was. Like, the whole thing was like some medieval-themed dungeon area. Hmm. And I don't really know how it meshes in with being a hotel. I'm like, you know, this is a hotel. This is what I said to the guy giving the demo, you know. But somehow it seems like a medieval dungeon. What's that doing in a hotel? And he wouldn't tell me anything. <laughs> he didn't know or he's not telling yet. But uh, it remains to be seen how that all fits into the game. But yes, the boss of it was this knight who rides around on a ghost horse and stuff. You need to stun him with the flashlights. He comes close and then you uh, hit him in his uh, target-shaped weak spot with the plunger. And then you just slam all over the place. And uh, as I mentioned... It's even fun with bosses, so yeah, <laughs> that's all good stuff. Like that his armor kind of shakes free and all that? Yeah, I mean, you just you know bash him around. and I, That's what I thought was going to happen, is eventually I'd bash off his armor, and then I'd have to suck him up. But actually, after you uh, bash him around enough, you just defeat him, and you win. Hmm. But uh, who knows? Maybe the final game will be that way. Who knows? Who knows? We shall see. But again, this is another one, kind of like Link's Awakening, where the treatment they gave the booth was just over-the-top awesome. Like, This was even better than the Zelda by far. I mean, they made like this whole, you know, closed off room that was essentially a recreation of the haunted hotel. And there are like skulls and cauldrons and projections of ghosts onto these semi-transparent sheets. So you'd see like these ghosts like flying overhead and bats flying overhead. There's this one spot if you step on the rug, like a ghost concierge would pop up to greet you. It was just, you know, really well done. It was almost like, you know, Disneyland, Luigi's Mansion going on. In fact, that makes me think about what they're going to do in that upcoming Nintendo Land at Universal. And seeing them do uh, Luigi's Mansion definitely seems like a must now. But uh, yeah, this whole thing was done very much, you know, Disneyland style, except also set up with, you know, like 30 monitors for playing Luigi's Mansion. So yeah, that was very, very impressive. That's great. Of course, I also played some Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield. And my big takeaway from that one is the Corgi Pokemon. (laughs) I've seen this guy floating around the internet. Yeah, I don't remember him being in that Pokemon Direct, but man, I think that might be my all-time new favorite Pokemon. Yamper, the Corgi Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) Yamper, huh? Yep, his name is Yamper, and he is a Corgi. And I love me a good Corgi, so it is great to see 
that Pokemon in there. I mean, the rest of the demo was actually really, really basic. You're just going through a gym, you fight a few trainers, you solve these puzzles where you're shutting on and off faucets that have water coming down that block your progression. But uh, that's pretty much it. You have a full lineup of Pokemon. You have all three starters, plus you have the Sheep Pokemon, the Crow Pokemon, and of course, Yamper. (laughs) <laughs> but you go through there, you fight the gym leader who uses Dynamax on her turtle, and so you have to fight the giant turtle. And I have to say, I used Dynamax on my Corgi just because I wanted to have a giant Corgi. <laughs> that was not the right strategic choice at all. <laughs> no? No, she unleashed some move on my Corgi, and it like exploded in this giant, <laughs> ferocious, fiery mushroom cloud. Just absolutely <laughs> murdered my corgi Pokemon. It was it was really a disaster. That is, that sounds tragic, really. It it really was. So, but you know, I stayed through it. I had to sacrifice a few Pokemon to her giant stupid turtle. But then after that, I brought out uh, my my plant guy, the monkey plant guy, and used my plant moves on her and totally defeated her. And I was like, yay! I beat you, even though you killed my corgi. <laughs> stupid old bag. I would pay fifty dollars for someone to have a video of your reaction to your corgi getting blown up. <laughs> I'll bet you would. (laughs) Anyway, there wasn't a whole lot to the Pokemon demo. I wish I could have gone exploring in the wilderness, but I did have fun with what I played. (laughs) And the fourth first-party title that Nintendo had on display was Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. Ah, cool. And you got to play that? Yeah, I definitely did. I didn't have a really strong feeling about that one. It just sort of seemed like a pretty typical action game from what i played Mm -hmm. you know you have your weak and strong attacks you can switch between your active four party members at any time with a directional pad you can stop in at the shield symbols and trade up your characters to customize your party there are a whole bunch of characters in there i think the playables included wolverine storm captain marvel groot and rocket raccoon who sort of come as a pair star lord thor i think iron man was in there as well And the first mission involves you uh, going on a quest with some of the Marvel Knights characters. So you're like teaming up with Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Iron Fist to try to infiltrate the hand hideout in New York. But, you know, basically, I felt like I was kind of just mashing buttons and throwing a strong attack and a weak attack and then holding down the R button and doing my special attacks. And I couldn't really necessarily tell what was going on or what was best or what was worse or what was effective or ineffective. I did notice that the characters who could fly could actually fly for a sustained amount of time. So that was convenient to use and it was cool to see that their powers are pretty well represented in there but i have to say even after playing through the whole demo i really didn't get a very strong feeling about that title one way or the other all right hopefully i'll get a chance to play that game some more when it comes out. i think it's really going to be at its best when you're playing in multiplayer and this was only a single player demo experience for me so i think that multiplayer is where it's really going to shine yeah that makes sense there were a couple of third-party games that nintendo was showing off as well And one of those was New Super Lucky's Tale. And that was one that was in the Nintendo Direct last week. And we didn't even talk about it. Yeah. Do you even remember that one? Yeah. It's funny. I didn't really notice it until maybe after we recorded that episode. And then I saw some videos about it. Looked pretty cool. I mean, I didn't really know what it was. It just kind of looked sort of like a generic 3D platformer to me. Yeah, it looked like a clean version of Conquer, perhaps. (laughs) A little bit. I don't know if Lucky is a squirrel or a fox or maybe he's a 
Foxel? I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I played it, and it's really not that bad. I mean, it is sort of generic in some ways, but it's not like there are a lot of 3D platformers coming out these days. No. You know, those kind of games are kind of hard to come by. And sure, it has that trademark uh, lame rare style speaking and all that, <laughs> but still... It fills a niche, and it fills it very well, and it hits all of those 90s-style platforming buttons. And if you are in the mood for that kind of game, I think this will do very, very well for that. I don't know if it's my kind of thing, but it certainly will have an audience, and it makes a lot of sense to see this game coming to Nintendo systems. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, it's nice because I feel like last generation, this was the type of game that you wouldn't get to see on a Nintendo platform. So good to see it coming. Yeah, for sure. I also played some Sonic and Mario at the Olympic Games, and I got to try out, I think, five different events. Got to play hurdles, surfing, skateboarding, <laughs> archery, and karate. Wow. Did you punch Tails in the face? You know, I can't remember who I punched in the face, <laughs> but I can tell you I did it using Dr. Robotnik. I was all Robotnik all the time. Wow. How'd that work out for you? Uh, pretty well, pretty well. And, uh, you know... Believe it or not, the guy doesn't look half bad in a wetsuit. <laughs> I'm not sure I believe you. Okay, I'm lying about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I punched a bunch of people in the face. I uh, fired that arrow in the archery. I gotta say, I didn't really know what I was doing in most of these events. A lot of times I just felt like I was sort of flailing around and mashing buttons and hoping for the best, especially with the surfing and the skateboarding. Mm -hmm. The skateboarding in particular, I used the motion controls, so it was a lot of flicking up and then flicking down, and it just felt like sometimes it worked, sometimes I didn't. It's going to take, I think, some practice to get good at a lot of these games, especially those ones with the motion controls. Hurdles, I did absolutely terrible at first. I was just crashing into hurdles left to right, just to just like pushing them out of his way, like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm a big oaf. <laughs> but uh, you know, once I started figuring out and you know using my uh, two-finger button technique, one to run and one to jump, I did much better. But by then it was too late, I already horribly lost that event. <laughs> but uh, hopefully I'll do better in the final product. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, with only six characters and five events, it's really hard to say much about this one. But uh, I don't know. At least it's looking pretty and it has some potential. Yeah, I've never really hated those games. And I feel like, you know, they are based a lot on... Yeah, me neither. You know, kind of minutia. And then, like, also a big part of it is, is it a pretty game to look at for hours on end? Yeah, I mean, the one question I did not get answered I'd really like to know about is if it has, like, a big, deep story mode like some of the past games have if that's in there then this game might very well be worth picking up mm. and also big the cat <laughs> yes yes more the more big the cat the better <laughs> another third party game i played at nintendo's booth was called dauntless hmm. i don't think i've heard of this one yeah i really hadn't either it's a co-op online action rpg very much like monster hunter i mean basically it more or less is monster hunter <laughs> you get together a party of four and then you go out and try to take down this big old monster. And that's what we did. They had, you know, four systems networked there. And we teamed up and there was a monster. And my gosh, we fought the stupid monster for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and it felt like we weren't even making any progress on him. Just hitting him and hitting him. And he's hitting us back. And we'd hit him. And it just went on and on and on. And after 10 minutes of fighting, I had to give up because I had an appointment at some other booth. So... <laughs> I think it is fair to say I was somewhat unimpressed by this game. <laughs> now, do you know, is this going to be one of those free games? Like I am not sure. Because it seems like it could follow in the uh, footsteps of like a Warframe type of thing. I do not know. I cannot answer that question. 
but I have to say, I wasn't really feeling it in this demo. So uh, hopefully the final product is better than what I experienced at E3. All right. There were a bunch of other games that were third-party at Nintendo's booth. Unfortunately, I did not have a chance to play those. Those were Dead by Daylight, The Elder Scrolls Blades, Wolfenstein Youngblood, Hollow Knight Silksong, which had a massive line. Otherwise, I would have loved to have played that one. And then Resident Evil 5. Unfortunately, I did not get to try those, but I wish I had. Mm. Can you go back? (laughs) Sorry, I think it's over now, unfortunately. (laughs) Too bad. On the other hand, I did get to go over to the Konami booth and try out Contra Rogue Corps. Oh, your favorite? Now, this was only the PS4 version. There was not a Switch version on display, but they assure me that as far as the content goes, it is, you know, pretty much the same across all platforms. I mean, if you saw the Nintendo Direct, you'll know that it does take a graphical hit on Switch, but as far as the gameplay goes, it should be the same across the board. All right. And I learned a couple things about the game. I learned that it is set in a place called the Damned City, and it takes place a few years after Contra 3. And you get to choose from four different characters. There's a dude called Kaiser. There's an alien who thinks he's a British gentleman, and he's called the Gentleman. There's a cyborg panda called Hungry Beast. And uh, a woman who is half human and half alien called Miss Harry Carey. Okay. And it is a full 3D take on Contra. You move with the left stick, you aim with the right stick, you shoot with the R button, you jump with the A button. It's a little bit complicated because you know, normally in Contra you don't have to worry about running and aiming in different directions, let alone while also hitting a shoot button. So uh, it's certainly a bit more complicated than the past games. Anyway, I want to have an open mind on this because it is Contra and I love the Contra series, but here is my main issue with it. <laughs> And that is that your gun overheats after, like, eight seconds of continuous shooting. What? And then after that, you have to wait, like, five seconds while it cools down, and then you can shoot again. Hmm. And to me, I just thought that was completely destroying this Contra feeling of shoot 'em up intensity. I mean, that's what Contra's all about. It's like nonstop shooting, never stop shooting. And this game intentionally makes you constantly stop shooting. Yeah, that's kind of bizarre. Yeah, so... That was my big issue with the gameplay. But beyond that, a lot of it, you know, I hate to say this, just kind of felt misguided to me. Like it's trying so hard to be edgy and (laughs) aggro. and It's like full of all this gratuitous swearing and gore. And while it's trying to do all this attitude stuff in the cutscenes, like the gameplay is hardly pushing the envelope at all. It's just like, okay, here's very traditional gameplay. And it's actually kind of slow paced because you can't shoot here. Like (laughs) at one point you get to this tank and it's like, okay, cool. I can jump in this tank and now it's going to be totally cool. And I'm driving a tank through downtown, but no, there's like a little cutscene. Your guy like throws a tank at the bad guys, like picks up a tank with one hand and (laughs) uses it to kill the bad guys. And it just like, why couldn't I have controlled that? It would have been so cool if I'd been controlling that. Yeah. So, as much as it pains me to say this, it just kind of felt like Konami does not really understand what people like about Contra. Like, it was always over the top, but usually in the action department, not in the theme. Right. So, I have some severe doubts still. I was hoping this would clear them all up. Like, okay, this game's actually cool, but instead, it kind of went the other way. Well, did you talk to anyone in Konami's booth about becoming a consultant for the game? (laughs) No, no, I did not. I feel like you probably should have done that. Uh, That did not happen. Uh, I I guess I'll have to email them and see if I can do that. (laughs) I I, truly, even, you know, nemesis aside, I believe that you would be, you know, capable of pushing the game in the right direction before it launches. (laughs) 
I would hope. I mean, as one of our listeners mentioned, it does have like the guy who was supposed to be the director of Contra 3 and Contra Hardcore is the producer on this title. Hmm. But it makes me wonder how much of a role he really has, because it just feels so different from past Contra games. I mean, in addition to the stuff I mentioned, there's a lot of changes compared to the past games that you know aren't necessarily bad, but like... You know, there are no weapon drops in the game. You have a life bar instead of just going down in one hit. You have uh, character upgrades and weapon upgrades that you earn between levels. I mean, all that stuff, you know, on paper, that sounds cool. And it actually might be cool, but it's just, you know, not like the Contra I've come to know and love. So, again, we'll see how the final game goes. But with that whole cooldown mechanic, I have some severe doubts. Uh, also, I don't think I realized this when we were talking about it last week after Nintendo Direct. This is a more or less full-priced game at $40. You know, I was thinking it was going to be like, you know, a $15 download or something. But no, it's 40 bucks. Oh, boy. Well, I've always wanted to kind of uh, shoot aliens as a panda bear. <laughs> well, that is one thing. This game probably does better than anything else. Also, I was only playing it in single-player mode, so who knows? Maybe in multiplayer it's going to end up being a lot more fun. So, again, we'll have to see. Yeah. I'll cross my fingers. I will say I really don't like the font they're using for Contra, but you talked about that <laughs> well, on Twitter. That's uh, definitely not the only issue. <laughs> I did spend some time with some other third parties that did have a good, strong Switch presence. I played the new Harvest Moon game over at Natsume. It is called Harvest Moon Mad Dash. and It is nothing like previous Harvest Moon games. It's more of a pick-up-and-play arcade-style action game that is an awful lot like Overcooked. I was going to say, like, Overcooked meets Harvest Moon? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Only instead of chopping up ingredients and cooking dishes, you're doing Harvest Moon activities like gathering up and harvesting crops, or feeding livestock and then gathering up their sundries, and then you got to place these in the right baskets while a timer counts down. And of course, by grouping items together, it'll make them grow in size. You'll get bigger rewards once you do the harvest. So trying to balance out this uh, matching up the items versus the time you have left and just trying to maximize your score and meet all your goals, you know, that's all very important as you play through the game. I played it in two-player mode. It has up to four-player support. It's coming out this fall and it's going to retail for $29.99. I mean, I guess that fills a void for people that like Overcooked. Yeah, I mean, if you're into that style of game, I think they'll probably like this one very much. Totally. And the art style is pretty cool, like Harvest Moon. Yeah, for sure. Another game that they had on demo was called Real Fishing Road Trip Adventure, which is coming out this summer. And it is this somewhat bizarre mix of realistic fishing and JRPG sensibilities. It's a fishing RPG. I think I'm already looking forward to the dramatic reading of this one on the eShop. <laughs> There are three different characters, sort of like on a college road trip or something. So there's Sean the Fisherman, and then there's a crafting character. He'll make you new reels and rods and bait. And then there's a girl named Alice who is a chef, and you can unlock new recipes, and you can use her food to you know restore your stamina and uh, do other things, I guess. But yeah, you level up, you gain new skills by using your skill points, you earn experience by fishing, and then you need to use like these realistic rods and realistic bait and realistic fishing techniques. You have to use specific baits and specific rods to catch the right kind of fish. And yeah, it's just this weird old mashup of these two elements. I mean, I wouldn't say that the gameplay is too realistic because I was actually able to catch a few kinds of fish <laughs> just playing the demo with a little bit of instruction from the PR folks. 
But uh, yeah, it's just this very uh, interesting hybrid. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned Natsume developing this, and I wasn't really sure what art style, but now looking at the screenshots, I'm like, yep, totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the characters, like, okay, is this some sort of cartoony anime game? Maybe, but then you look at the fish, it's like, oh yeah, these are realistic looking fish. Yeah. It is just a kind of wacky hybrid. And I would definitely say it is much deeper than your average fishing game. Now, it's funny, I actually do weirdly like fishing games from time to time. I haven't played one in a long time, but you know, I think Sega had that Sega Bass Fishing. Oh yeah, yeah, there have been some good ones out there. And then of course, some of the, you know, mini game and Ocarina of Time. Mm -hmm. But this actually looks like it could be interesting. Now, is there motion controls with the... No, no motion controls, just uh, regular traditional controls. Mostly using the shoulder buttons, strangely enough. All right, I'm still in on it. Yeah, I mean, if you like fishing, there's a good chance you'll like this game. Yeah, would be interesting to try out. I like the fact that there's a story mode. Yeah, like I said, it's uh, definitely not just your typical generic straight-up fishing title. <laughs> and the last one that Natsume had on display was an indie-developed title called Cosmic Defenders, which is basically an action game where you are defending these moons from alien attack. It's uh, really cute and cartoony, and you're sort of jumping from moon to moon and multitasking to defend against these aliens. Some attack from above, some attack from the side, and so you're just you know constantly jumping around from place to place. And it does have a multiplayer component. Uh, apparently, the gameplay gets even crazier when you've got multiple players. I was playing it solo, but I guess you can have up to four players and there's even more aliens just lots of chaos going on so i'm not really sure how this one's going to shape up but it was certainly uh, interesting and uh, fairly addictive yeah it looks like a game that might retail for you know a smaller price and be on the eShop only uh yeah i think that's probably going to be the case but i don't know for sure yeah hopefully it is and uh, hopefully it is fun yes indeed and then over at the xseed booth they actually had five new games coming out for switch that were playable there Oh, sounds interesting. One of those is Sakuna of Rice and Ruin. And you might be thinking, well, that's kind of a strange sounding title. But yes, it's a combination 2D side-scrolling action game and a rice farming game. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Are they running out of ideas, Chris, or what's going on? I don't know what's going on with that, but I've been playing this game for like the past three E3s. I was there two years ago and got to play some of the action scenes. And then last year I got to play some of the farming scenes, but I didn't really have any reason to talk about it because it was only going to be PC and maybe PlayStation 4, but now it is finally coming out on Switch. And as far as the hack and slash action stuff goes, it's actually really, really fun. And in addition to attacking with your weapon, you have this magic scarf you can use to grapple onto objects and swing around enemies. Hmm. And the action is just really solid and feels really good. And it ended with this fight against this huge monster skeleton boss, like not a human skeleton, like some sort of creature skeleton. And uh, it kicked my butt pretty good. But yeah, the, the action component is really, really fun. And there was no farming in this year's demo, but you do get to plant and harvest rice. And you have a hunger gauge that depletes during the action scenes, and that sort of ties everything together. And yeah, this one, it's been a long time in coming, but it's shaping up really well. And uh, I have a good feeling about this one. Yeah, I'm looking at screenshots of it, and it looks great. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me, in a lot of respects, of uh, Muramasa, if you remember that one for Wii. Yeah, it definitely has some uh, nods to that. Then they had Sedrin Kagura Peach Ball. <laughs> uh, okay, and what's this about? Well, it combines the Sedrin Kagura universe with pinball. <laughs> of course it does. And 
You know, I don't entirely get it, but it seems to be a surprisingly competent game of pinball mixed with some very goofy fantasy-style tables. And obviously, if you're into, uh, you know, quote-unquote fan service, you will enjoy this game more. But unlike some of the games like Serenkagura Reflections, there is actually a really solid game in here. I mean, it's very silly. The story is about, you know, the characters, like, sort of, going goofy and they think they're animals like a cat or a rabbit or something and then you cure them by playing pinball and smacking them with this peach ball <laughs> but uh yeah it was actually you know very very competent as a pinball game and actually pretty darn fun so um yeah it's shaping up very well also <laughs> i see what you did there i don't but i'll take your word for it <laughs> anyway it's coming out pretty soon on july 9th also got to try out Rune Factory 4 Special, which is coming out sometime this year. It's a port of the 3DS game, which I never really played very much of. But like that original version, it combines Story of Season-style farming with top-down combat and exploration. So it's pretty much got everything. You can grow crops, you can raise livestock, you can participate in festivals, you can make friends with the villagers, I think you can even get married to certain bachelors and bachelorettes, and then you also engage in Zelda-style sword swinging combat. You fight lots of monsters, you use spells, you get equipment, all that good stuff. It's all in there. And then on top of that, because your character is either a prince or a princess, depending on which gender you choose, you, know, you also get to determine what happens in the city. So you choose when the festivals take place and stuff like that. It seems like a very, very deep game. Yeah, and it actually looks kind of pretty for being a port. That I thought was probably the weakest aspect of it. It didn't really seem quite as pretty as a Switch game should. Hmm. But uh, yeah, they did a good job, I think, of upgrading over the original 3DS graphics. Another really strange game I played was called Hero Land. That's also set for release this year, and it is one weird game, let me tell you. <laughs> I don't quite get this one either, but apparently you're an employee at a theme park, and you are guiding guests on their quests to fight bad guys. That's why it's called Hero Land. <laughs> but basically, all the characters just sort of fight on their own, kind of using an active time battle style gauge, you know, like in Final Fantasy, and they just sort of do their own thing. But your character is their guide, you have your own gauge as well, and when it fills up, you can give commands to them directly or maybe you can use an item to heal or things of that nature so there doesn't really seem to be much in the way of exploration and because all the characters do most of their activities on their own it doesn't seem really interactive and so you might be thinking at this point okay this game does not sound so great but here's the thing the story is just wildly entertaining <laughs> and really really funny and i would say it was the best written game i played at the entire e3 <laughs> like for some reason a bunch of the theme park employees are otters. Yeah, I see that. And I don't know why they're otters, but it's great in and of itself that they are otters. But there's like this whole running gag about, you know, the otter claims he's actually a human. And I don't know why the otters can speak English and talk anyway, but they can. And so like some people are trying to prove or disprove he's an otter. And one of the first guests you encounter is this prince. And he wants to go on some great quest and prove his worth. And at first he's like a big jerk. But then he like becomes friends with the otter. He's like defending the otter. And he's like, you know, how dare you call him an otter and stuff like that. And <laughs> it is just ridiculous and really, really strange. And I was smiling the whole time. So even though I'm not sure it's that interactive and I have some questions about the gameplay, you know, in some ways, I think it's going to turn out to be really, really good. So I'm totally looking forward to this one. Yeah, it looks cool. And I like the blend of sort of pixel art meets uh, 3D. 
Yeah, yeah, it did have this really unique art style too. Like, even though they do look like pixel sprites, they're just kind of uh, pliable and flexible, kind of like uh, Paper Mario in a sense. Right. They're not totally flat. They do have depth to them, but yeah, it is all like Paper Mario now that I think about it. I kind of totally forgot to mention that, so I'm glad you brought it up. And then the last one I play at XSeed was Burger Time Party, which is coming out this fall. <laughs> and that is, you know, sort of a, a remake, follow-up, sequel, whatever you want to call it, to the original classic arcade game Burger Time. You know, that's where you're sort of running over ingredients and trying to stack up burgers and avoid evil enemies such as pickles and wieners. <laughs> it's true. I've played it. Now, see, I like never really played it much back in the day. I was never a big fan or anything. I didn't really care about this franchise at all. But this was actually surprisingly fun. And, uh, you know, I was enjoying it way more than I was expecting it. It's especially fun in multiplayer mode. It has co-op, so you can play it with friends. Or there's actually a versus mode that lets you play as the bad guys. <laughs> so, like, quite literally, you could play this game and you could say... A wiener is you. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I had like no expectations for this game going in, but the more I played, the more I liked it. It grew on me a lot, and I think it is going to live up to its name as a good party game when it comes out later this year. Yeah, it's really funny because the history of Burger Time, right? It you know it came out back in the day in the arcade. Right. It was on in mm -hmm. television and all that. I remember playing it years and years and years ago when I was a lad. But it, what's funny about it is that it really was kind of like a precursor to something like Overcooked, <laughs> where you're literally just trying to make some burgers. Kind of. I mean, it's very different in the gameplay department, but I see what you're yeah, saying. I mean, it's definitely different, but it is sort of that same style. You've got this goal and you're trying to do it as quickly as possible without getting interfered with. Mm -hmm. Now, did you play that Burger Time game that came out on WiiWare? Uh, I don't think I did. And if I did, it wasn't very memorable. It was not a very good game. <laughs> right. So I'm just glad to see this game sort of being brought up, modernized, and, you know, maybe taking a page out of the Overcooked book. And uh, see what I did there? I do. I'm not really sure it's a very good comparison, <laughs> but I will say it is a uh, big step in the right direction and much better than that We Were game. And like I said, it seems like to be quite uh, an enjoyable game in multiplayer. So I have high hopes. Yeah, and I actually even enjoy the art style going on here. Yeah, I mean, it's shaping up well, that's for sure. Yeah, it looks like an angry wiener. <laughs> they are. Those wieners are very testy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can say that. Anyway, that takes care of all the games I got to try out at this year's show. Even though the options were somewhat limited, there was still a lot of good stuff to try. If I had to narrow it down to a favorite, I would go with what is probably the obvious answer, and say The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. The Game Boy version is one of my top 25 games of all time, I would say, and this one is prettier, it controls better, and it has new features that the original did not. But really, almost everything I played was good. There is a lot of great stuff to look forward to for Nintendo Switch owners. Yeah, that's great. And with that said, I do believe it brings this week's big topic to a close, and it's time for us to wrap up this week's episode of the podcast. However, before we do that, we do, of course, have time for one more thing, that being a dramatic reading. And this time, it is from the Switch eShop game, Season Match 2. Unravel the mystery of the Ice Conspiracy and bring seasons back. The Fairy Tale Kingdom relies on you 
<laughs> the fairy tale kingdom has been seized by Prince January. All the castles are trapped in ice and snow. The little dwellers of the kingdom butterflies, bees, ladybirds, dragonflies feel cold, and severe winter gives them nothing but hard frost. <laughs> but it can be helped. Find a magical artifact in every level. Do your best to defeat the guard. Tip the scale with the magic power to your side, and the enemy will be vanquished. On your way to victory, there are 35 battle levels, 35 unique hidden object games, and 7 mini-games. Face your enemies while solving arcade logical puzzles. Unravel the mystery of the ice conspiracy, and bring the seasons back. The fairy tale kingdom relies on you. Features Beat seven mini games, 70 thrilling levels, hidden object adventure, 35 unique characters, seven flying castles, <laughs> unique artifact at each level. Sounds like a good one. Well, I mean, it's got seven flying castles. Right. And I can't really say that about most games. They had me at uh, six, but with seven. Yeah, I can imagine. I I don't know about you, but uh, just reading this, it gave me nothing but hard frost. (laughs) Indeed. And with that said, that definitely does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff, and you can find Pete at Burly Red Yeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, of course, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Bashad, Arriva Darchi, and Ray from Contra Hardcore, we will see you next time.